0: part of our series um, we just called Divine Misunderstandings, Uh, but before we get there, I have uh, a wonderful, wonderful announcement to make. You probably got the email this week, but we have now uh, hired um, our new children's uh, and outreach pastor who will be with us uh, next month, Jason and Corey Heath. Who uh, some of you know, how, how many of you already know who they are? How many of you have heard of them before? So they were, they were here a long, long time ago. But um, we have a little greeting video that they made that we want to show you uh, just, just for them to say hi to you. So take a look at the video. Hey, Kingwood Church, we are Jason and Corey Heath. I'm Corey and I'm Jason and we are so excited about joining you guys here in the near future yes we are in 1997 we were a part of Kingwood Church we were in master's commission there and the legacy of Kingwood was instilled in our hearts the legacy of missions the legacy of outreach and reaching people from Christ and we've been a part of a church here in Louisiana that has had the exact same heart Speaking of Louisiana, we've learned some weird words while we've been here, like Budan, Shave, Coulon, he Pshawl. But there's also some words from Alabama that we can't wait to use again, like Pridge, Hey Y'all, Fixin' to, Kimfo, and especially Roll Tide or War Eagle, whichever one you choose. We still love you. Right. But we're praying for you, and we can't wait to get there. We will be there soon. and can't wait to be a part of the Kingwood team. All right, isn't that awesome? Hey, we are, we are just as excited as we can be for them to come and join our team. Next month, late next month, they'll be here. Uh, you'll be getting more information as the time gets closer. So uh, would, you, would you just go ahead and begin to pray for them? And, uh, and open your heart to them and be ready to receive them as part of the Kingwood Church family We're, we're very excited to have them uh, here shortly uh, So also tonight is our uh, monthly uh, soak service And so I want to encourage you to join us tonight uh, at 5.30 for a time of uh, prayer and worship that's just absolutely sets the spiritual direction of our church So join us tonight Hey, if you've got something uh, to write with, go ahead and take it out uh, I, there may be some notes you want to take today, but as you're getting ready, let me tell you um, one of the best stories I've ever heard um, when it comes to communication, okay? So there was a general and a soldier who were traveling by train. And the general and the soldiers sat down directly across from a lady and her, her, um, her, her nearly adult, adult daughter, like 20, 20 years old, beautiful young lady. And as the train was headed for a tunnel, a long, dark tunnel, um, they began to notice that it looked like that the soldier and the young lady were kind of making eyes at each other. So the train rolls on into the tunnel, and it was so dark, you could hold your hand in front of your face, and, and you couldn't see anything. And, and right in the middle of the darkness of that tunnel, all of a sudden you heard a kiss and a slap. But nobody could see anything. So the woman, the mother, is thinking, that, that soldier in the middle of the dark here reached over and kissed my daughter, and she slapped him. Nobody could see, and and the daughter is thinking um, that soldier wanted to kiss me, but by accident he kissed my mom and she slapped him. And the general is thinking that goofy soldier of mine reached over and kissed that girl. And she tried to slap him, and she slapped me by accident. And, and, the, and the soldier's thinking, I never had so much fun kissing the back of my hand and slapping a general. <laughs> now that's, you don't deserve a story that good, this one. That's way too good. That's one of the best. And, and, and so that, that story to me uh, perfectly illustrates you know, what would we call that? Well, that's a misunderstanding, right? That's a, that's a misunderstanding. And who, who doesn't know what it feels like to be misunderstood? You know, when you send a text, right? And you talk, you go, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Thank God we've got emojis now. You know, we can put a little, say, you know how many marriages have been saved by emojis? You at least go, How did you mean it? I was smiling. See? And, and email and all of that. So, what this is, is, is a misunderstanding. And it's like a, um, a misunderstanding is like a dark tunnel where there's no light. Right? Just, I'm just not really sure what's going on around me. Uh, we all know what it feels like to be misunderstood in, in some way, but the most misunderstood person in history, I think, is God. In Jesus' times, uh, people would quote things that God had said in the Old Testament, but they would miss the heart behind it. And these misunderstandings were so important to Jesus that he actually spent a good amount of time clearing them up. Like a dark tunnel, Jesus shined a light in the darkness to say, hey, these are a bigger deal than you think they are, and by the way, they actually apply to everybody. Now, last week, we started talking about those. This is Part of Jesus' teaching, if you've ever heard the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually spoke about six of these things that God had said in the Old Testament that were misunderstood. So Jesus would say, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. And he would would explain it further. So what Jesus was actually doing is getting below the surface of the principle or truth and, and revealing the brokenness of the human heart so that God's grace might get to the root of the matter and healing might come. So here's a quick list of the six divine misunderstandings that Jesus taught about on the Sermon on the Mount. Murder, adultery, divorce, breaking our word, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now last week we talked about murder, and how anger was actually the root of murder, and how uh, murder was was really a broader definition than you might think. If you, if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you um, to, to grab the podcast later and catch up, because I think that one really set the tone for the whole series. Now, today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the commandment in the Old Testament that Jesus is now widening uh, when God said, Do not commit adultery. Now, before you you know, tune me off and say, no, I'm good on that one. I got that one. One, it's more prevalent than you think. Two, uh, at least give me a chance to define it uh, broadly. Let me give you a narrow definition first. So so what is adultery? Uh, Adultery is when a married person has sexual relations with someone outside their marriage. That's what adultery is. A A lot of times these... These uh, terms are used interchangeably and they're not necessarily interchangeable. So maybe you're a single person sitting here and going, Oh, great. So two single people can have sex whenever they want because nobody's married. No, that's fornication. That's a different sin and a different sermon, okay? But that, that's not okay either. Uh, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. Uh, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so you see he's broadening this, changing it a little. Let me read it to you in the message. I think Eugene Peterson did a, a wonderful job of putting this in a little different language. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think, and here's the key, you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart, boy, if you can circle that word, heart. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. So last week uh, we said that murder begins with anger. Today we're saying that adultery begins with lust. Now these two sins are similar in that they usually happen with feelings of justification. In other words, I know this is wrong. I know to think this is wrong. I know to feel this is wrong. I know to act on this is wrong. However, it's okay for me to do it because, you know, whatever. It's justification. I have special circumstances. Anger says, I have the right to hurt this person because they hurt me. Lust says, I have the right to use this person because my desires are not being met. And this is how justification works. I believe I have the right to give full expression to anger or lust for whatever the reason is. And anger and lust do have one other thing in common. There's always a victim. So anger, the victim, is the person who is, if you go full-blown murder, that's physically killed. But as we said last week... Their reputation could be killed, or a relationship could be killed, or someone's self-esteem could be killed, and there's always a victim when anger is expressed. Well, in the same way, when lust is expressed, there's always a victim. The victim could be your spouse or someone else's spouse, or, but, but there is a real victim involved. So Jesus, what he's actually saying here is, if I view my own desires as more important than my spouse or more important than someone else's spouse, I have victimized that person. I have devalued that person. I have violated the dignity of that person. So whether I I get in bed with them or I just entertain the fantasy over and over in my mind, I have the heart of an adulterer. And, and, and the heart damage is the same. The external collateral might not be the same, but the internal heart damage is the same. And I have violated that person in my heart, and I have violated my spouse, and, and I'm, I'm an adulterer because lust is controlling me. So lust and anger always have a similar result. They devalue the other person. They say, it's okay for me to treat them this way because they're worth less than I am. Is that not what we just saw in the massage parlor scandal in Florida? These rich CEOs who come in and say, it's okay for me to treat these women this way because they're worth less than I am. Because I run a company, or I have billions or I do this, or I do that, isn't that the same sin? It's the same lust. It's okay. Now, most of us say, yeah, 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 get them. You know, they're terrible. I'd never do anything like that. Well, it kind of reminds me of the guy who won the lottery, you know, and ran off to Rio de Janeiro and found a girlfriend. And, 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 so, and somebody asked him, like, you know, what, what, what's going on there? He said, well, I've been wanting to do it for years. I just couldn't afford it. Just because you can't afford it doesn't mean it's not in your heart. Right? So you can just blame the people that can afford it and assume that your heart and mine is okay because we can't afford it. Doesn't mean we're okay. I remember when uh, Stacy and I lived in Florida, one of the worst phone calls I ever received was from a family who said, uh, you know, this, the family's blowing up. Uh, and, and we need to step in and help every way we can, so there was a, a family in our church who had an older son and two younger girls. i I, I believe the youngest was you know maybe nine or ten and I think, and the other girl was about twelve or thirteen, and then the older son was about eighteen but the But the couple had had uh, some problems um, he He had committed adultery on her. he had cheated on her. He had gone through the process to be restored, and um, and they actually had a wedding uh, before we had even lived there. They had a wedding at the church. They got remarried to sort of try to start over and have a clean slate and begin again. And then it wasn't just a couple of years later, she began to find uh, things that led her to believe that something was going on, and uh, and then she found it all, and it was right, and he was... Uh, having affairs again, and um, I remember when Stacy and I went over to that family's house, uh, because the the family was blown up, I mean, it was just falling apart, and uh, I remember moving day, we got the boxes, and we were packing everything, and um, loading the truck, because she was moving, and she was taking the kids, and she had tried everything she could do, and and it, it wasn't working, and he wasn't. He wasn't cooperating, um, and I remember there came a moment where, uh, like the like the children were shell shocked. I mean, they it's it's like it's like they had seen a war. I mean, I, they were just absolutely um, traumatized. And I remember I I, I saw the little twelve year old on the swing and on the front porch, and they were losing their house, they were losing their neighborhood, they were losing their dad. You know. It was just awful. And I remember I went and sat on the swing with her. And, um, and she wasn't this kind of person at all normally, but uh, she just laid her head on my shoulder, and we just swung there on the front porch back and forth. And I don't even remember us talking. She just had a blank stair glaze in the ground. She couldn't even cry. She was just traumatized. And, and, and I had the unfortunate... A, a opportunity to see the damage of adultery from the inside, and we walked with that family for the next till till she graduated and her younger sister graduated high school, and we walked with them and helped them every way we could to try to heal. But man, I'm telling you, when you see firsthand the damage that lust does. Like when when another person is devalued and you say, it's okay for me to treat you this way because you're less valuable than I am. And you see the look in a little girl's eyes and a son that went off the rails, the older teenage son, uh, it, it um, it shows you whether you actually do the act or not, the darkness that's in the heart. Does that make sense? What Jesus is saying is whether the act ever comes to fruition or not, the darkness that's in the heart is the problem. And by the way, you and I, 100% of us, have the ability to have that darkness in our heart. Whether it results in that single act or not is a different story, but we all have the potential of that darkness in our heart. So Jesus is saying the heart behind do not commit adultery is deal with adultery on a desire level. Like don't let it get out. Don't let it, don't act on it. Don't let it mature. Don't let it grow. Deal with it at the root. Deal with it at the desire level. And in this context, Jesus is referring to lust as sexual because he's tying it to adultery. But the word actually has a broader meaning and application. If you look in the uh, the Greek word for lust in this verse, here's what it means: to attach oneself to something with the fanatical obsession to make it their own. I see this, I see this person or whatever this thing. I want it. I've obsessed over it. I can't change my mind and I can't rest until I have it. And this is where phrases come from that we're very popular in our culture, like, oh, that person has a lust for power, right? So it doesn't matter what group or company they land in, they're going to end up trying to rise to the top, and they don't care who they step on on the way because they have a lust for power. And, and we see that in about every forum in American life now. 1 John 2.16 says, for everything in the world, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Two of those three have the word lust in it. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. When we lust after something, we stop thinking rationally. We become fixated. We only look for additional reasons to have it, not reasons to abstain from it. Like, how many times have you ever gone past, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts and that sign hot now was on? And you said, I need it. I must have it. And you go lay down in bed at night and that little red neon sign just keeps blinking off in your mind. Hot now. Dude, they're hot. They're fresh. They just came off the, you know, the, the little uh, uh, icing waterfall. They came through there, you know, a whole herd of them. And they're just like, they dissolve in your mouth like cotton candy, you know. And what do you do? You put your, you put your sweats on and you run down there and you, don't give me three. Give me a dozen. Come on now. Give me a dozen. Why? Lust has taken over. All right, so you understand what I'm saying now, right? You're not going to admit it when we're talking about something else, but Krispy Kreme, that's okay. (laughs) Studies using MRI technology have shown that lust lights, lights the brain up like a strobe light in the exact same area that a drug addict's brain does on drugs. Lust activates... With the same intensity, the same area of the brain that drug addiction does in a drug addict's brain. Intense physical desire and hormones together cloud a person's judgment of reality. So once we have a craving, it doesn't take very much to nudge us over the edge to move those feelings into action. So so this morning, let me just give you a... um, this is just my definition. I, it's just I'm sure it's oversimplified and, and all of that. But let me just give you my definition of lust, okay? It's the desire for something you should not have. Lust is the desire for whether it's a person or a donut or drugs or whatever it is, or a show or, or, or uh, pornography, whatever it is. It's the lust for something that you should not have. Now, I'm going to I'm going to take a poll this morning. And I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you in advance. Like I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to expect 100% participation, okay? How many of you have ever had a desire for something you should not have? How many? There are no exceptions are there. So when Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you that you is me and you. Right? Because we've all desired something that we shouldn't have, and we probably will again. So there has to be a way for us to deal with, with this uh, with lust before it makes us crazy, before it drives us into Adultery or fornication or theft or, or whatever. And, 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 the, and what, what Jesus is after today is not the action. He's after the heart that bears the fruit of the action. So maybe today you're here and you're struggling with sexual lust or pornography or thoughts of cheating on your spouse Or or maybe you feel lonely inside your marriage. Maybe there's someone in your life who is very attractive and tempting to you because they appear to be strong in all the places that your spouse is weak. And before you say, oh no, we're at church, nobody feels that way. That is not what the statistics tell us. And I don't think we're the only exception as a church on earth. Maybe you're battling substance addiction. Maybe you have some compulsive desire that's out of control. What Jesus is saying is adultery is not the problem. Desire is the problem. So how do you and I deal with desire? Now, I, 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 want, I want to give you some ways that are not helpful because I think they are, they are the ways that we um, default to. And they're ineffective and they don't work. So let's talk about a few ways that don't work to deal with desire, wrong desires. One is shame. Shame doesn't work. Shame on you. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't want that. You shouldn't think that. Shame So most of us in high school read the scarlet letter. You take the little lady and you put a red A on her dress and you parade her around in front of everybody and say, if you do this, this is how we're going to treat you. And that doesn't solve anything. What it does is it causes us to take our desire and and hide it deeper. It just creates a darker underworld. It doesn't doesn't cure or calm anything. And and by the way, it also convolutes God's gift of sex because sexual desire is not evil. Right? I mean, where did it come from? God who invented it? God so sexual desire is not evil when it's lived out in the context of marriage so the next time you know somebody says well I don't serve God why God's never done anything good for me you can say well he made sex and that's not bad (laughs) how about that they're going to have to think about that you never thought about that as a witnessing tool did you? We've been approaching this wrong. <laughs> but, but think about it. God made the pleasure. We added the pain. We added the pain. So, so let's don't put that on him. So shame is not going to work. Guilt is not going to work. I, I'm just going to punish myself and crucify myself and, and, and make myself feel terrible, Until I do the right thing. What you're going to do is you're going to destroy the the identity of Christ inside you. Because you're just going to keep hammering, I'm bad and I'm evil and I'm dirty and I'm wrong. And I'm telling you it's not effective. Or we just bury it. Kind of like shame causes us to do. We take it deeper and deeper and hide it and deny it, and no, not me, and I've never felt that, and I don't know what you're talking about. And what we end up becoming is like a person that has one foot on land and the other one on a boat, and it's drifting. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall in because you become two different people, and you cannot effectively juggle two different lives in the long run you will eventually fall in, and both, both parts of you are going to lose. So this morning, let me give you some thoughts on how do we effectively deal with desire. Now look, it, it's, let's take the shame off. It's okay to write notes. It doesn't mean you're adulterer if you write something down, okay? It's all right. You know why? Because we're all adulterers in our heart somehow. And if we can get that and say, all right, God, equip me and empower me and help me to deal with the desires that I have that don't honor you because everybody has some some sometime. So number one, do not isolate yourself. The majority of people I know who've had an affair isolate themselves first. And that's just one application. You could also add that to a bunch of things. Most of the people who struggle with a secret desire, sinful desire, they, they live in isolation or it causes them to isolate themselves. They pull away from their spouse, they pull away from their family, they pull away from their church, they pull away from Christian friends, they pull away from healthy relationships. Isolation is one of the worst things that a believer can do during times of temptation. But it's human nature for us to tend to do that because we feel shame, we feel guilt, and rather than bringing it to the light, we go through that tunnel of darkness and there's misunderstanding and miscommunication and we keep burying it. Sins that begin in secret are maintained in silence. That's why the Bible says, Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Because when you find a trusted friend, a trusted friend, that you can confess that sin to discreetly, you begin to surface that thing and bring it to the light, and its control over you starts to break. The stronghold begins to break. So it's better to stay close to those that you love those who love you, to, taste, to stay transparent and open. You're so much better off when you don't isolate yourself. That's why at Kingwood we often say life, how do, what do we say? It's better together. Now let me build on that idea this morning. Even when life is not good, it's still better together. Isolation is what kills. So when you're isolated, you're weak, and when you're weak, you're vulnerable to be pulled away in your own dark thoughts, and, and, and the temptation of darkness overwhelms you. So don't isolate yourself. N- number two, know when you are weak. A-, a lot of people fail because they think they're stronger than they are. That's kind of the American way, isn't it? Well, let me give you a great example of how that doesn't work. Samson. Samson. Everybody know who Samson was? The strongest man who ever lived. He he has to be American. He has to be American. (laughs) And he failed because he thought he could handle it. But, But he wasn't aware of his own weakness. So Let me tell you some times that you're, do you know when you're weak? We all have some common weaknesses, but we all have some specific weaknesses. It's very important that you know your weaknesses so that you can protect yourself. So let me give you some some ideas. We already said in the last point, isolation or loneliness is a time of weakness. And by the way, it is when Satan tempted Jesus. When he was alone in the wilderness, Satan reasoned that's the most vulnerable he's ever going to be. Let me attack now. And I'm thinking if he does it to Jesus, he's going to do it to you and me. So isolation or loneliness, uh, 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 in a season that you're overworked, boy, we, we are good at burning the candle at both ends. And we drive and drive and drive and go and go and go and a little more and a little more and a little more and we get overworked and we get fatigued and when we do, we're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to temptation. You're vulnerable to desire something you should not have. Stressed, times of stress. If you're hurt or wounded, if someone has hurt you or wounded you, you are vulnerable. In that moment, you will will look for Uh, something you should not have to nurse the wound, to offset the pain. And you you and I are vulnerable in those moments. Um, If you have spent uh, um, a long amount of time living out of your weaknesses, when you you are uh, forced to perform out of your weaknesses, out of the areas that you're by personality not strong at, and you are forced to do that over and over and over, it is emotionally draining to you, and you will find yourself weak. When you're frustrated uh, with a relationship or you're angry, after a great victory, when when you've had a good win, man, you want to celebrate. And you would think, what could go wrong now? Your heart is what could go wrong now. And, And your heart can be misled in that moment. Times of grief and depression, Certainly are times of weakness. What what about this? Times of boredom. When you are bored, you know why boredom is so tough? Because it's the time that we have to wrestle with our own purpose. And if you have a sense of purposelessness, you are vulnerable. King David sat on the rooftop, and the Bible says when kings normally go out to war, David's at home twiddling his thumbs, and he looks over at the next rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing. When you are bored and you don't know your purpose, that's why here we say, God gifted you to grow you. What gift did God put in you? It's where your purpose is, and when you're living after your purpose, you are less weak, you are less vulnerable. So, do you know when you're tempted, and do you have a way to protect yourself? know when you're weak. Number three, starve the wrong desires. Matthew 5, 29, 30, this is the next two verses right after what we read earlier. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. We'll have to talk about that. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. Jesus is not telling you, just for the record, to amputate your limbs. He is not, please, nobody go home and cut anything off or out, unless it's hair, you know, something like that. Fingernails, we're good with that. Do not, do not go home and do that. That's, that's not what we're saying. H- what he's saying is, is these desires that lead you, that are, that are wrong cannot be toyed with. You have to attack them radically. You can't phase them out over time. I think I'll watch, you know, a little less pornography each day until it goes away. It's like not going away. I think I'll flirt with this person a little less each day. I think I'll eat a few Krispy Kreme donuts less until I stop eating them. They will not go away. They will come back with legion. They will come back with a whole company of demons you have to identify w- with what is deadly and you can't flirt with it you have to take radical action and you have to cut it out of your life R- remember the, the man uh, Aaron, Aaron uh, Ralston who, who had uh, fallen in Utah and had a rock on his hand and had to make the terrible decision to cut his own arm off it's the only way he could uh, survive. How could a person do that? He explained that he realized he wouldn't survive unless he took drastic action. Your heart is not going to survive the evil desires that are in it unless you take radical action. You can't play around with it. You can't let this culture just rock you to sleep over it. So the way to beat your desire is to starve it out. How do you do it? Delete that phone app. Get rid of the person's phone number in your contacts. Drop the movie channel. Give up the smartphone. Change gym membership. Sell the video game. Change jobs if you have to. Change friends. Change hobbies. Change social habits. Change priorities. Change your focus. Whatever the desire is, stop feeding it. Because in our mind, we rationalize, it's so strong, I can't resist it. The reason it's that strong is because you keep feeding it. Stop feeding it, and it will get weaker. And you will have a greater ability to defeat it. So that brings us right to number four, feed the right desires. (laughs) Just make the shift, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So you've got this battle going on inside you. If you're a Christian, you do, because the Spirit of God's in you, in conflict with these desires. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. I, I love that this verse doesn't say, walk by the Spirit and try not to fulfill the will of the flesh. That's not what it says. Look what it says. Walk by the Spirit and you will not. Where does the strength come from to resist the desire? Feed the good part. Feed the good desire. Feed the work of the Spirit in you, and you will muscle up, and you'll have a greater ability to resist. Feed the Spirit, and you will not. How do you walk by the Spirit? Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, the very next chapter. This is the verse that we often hear quoted so out of context. You know, do not God will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, that they'll also reap, right? That's what we always hear. Listen to the context, listen to verse 8 that comes right after that. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So do the spirit, reap spiritual strength and life. So do the flesh, reap evil desire and weakness. Now, n- nobody sows perfectly, all right? You don't and I don't. But if you will sow to the Spirit more than you sow to the flesh, your spirit will win. You will outgrow and overcome. So h- how do you do that? Surround yourself with spiritual things. I didn't put it on the screen, but Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Man, you've got to radically inundate your life with spiritual things by sowing to the Spirit. Devotions. Man, have a time, a regular time, where you read the Bible and pray. You'll be shocked what you're capable of if you feed your spirit get in a life group surround yourself find spiritual friends inside a life group life is better together you'll be surprised how much stronger you can become if you have spiritual people around you encouraging you come to worship service at church And man, as we stood earlier and worshiped and praised God and lifted our hands and sang, man, your spirit was rising inside you. You'll be surprised what you can do. Prayer and worship and feed your spirit. You can't feed your spirit junk food and expect to be healthy. You can't overcome temptation on an empty stomach. So you have to feed your spirit. All right, last one. Surrender wrong desires to God's grace. So what I didn't say is never have wrong desires because that's like nobody but Jesus. All the rest of us are in the same boat. And, and the only people who think they are are, are lying, and there's, a, there's another sermon for that. Or they, they're so unaware of their own darkness that they're dangerous. So we're all there. So what do you do with the desires that you shouldn't have? Surrender them to God's grace. And and by the way, how does God treat people with wrong desires? Do you remember in John chapter 8, the religious leaders who thought they had no sin came and brought this woman caught in the act of adultery, throw her at Jesus' feet and say, you know, we're going to stone her to death. And Jesus says, no, you're not because who who I want to stone her is the one of you who have no sin and the stones hit the ground and they all walked away because none of them were worthy to stone her to death because none of them were perfect Jesus was the only one worthy to stone her to death and he had no sin and he wouldn't he wouldn't do it so what did he offer her? He lifted her head up, wiped the tears away, and he said, Where are your accusers now? Some of you struggle with sin because when you look in the face of God, you think you're looking at your accuser. And I'm telling you, God is not your accuser. God is a forgiver and a grace giver. And so he raised her up and he said, Now now go and sin no more. You're forgiven. Live a different life now. You're free. Your accusers are gone. They've been silenced. And so if you and I, if you and I could ever get that, that with our sin, we're not to run away from God because He's not going to shame you. He's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to condemn you. He's not going to guilt you. He's going to lift your head up. He's going to wipe your tears away. And He's going to say, I have better things for you. Come to the better things. (laughs) Come have the better things. This was not the life that I wanted you to live because it's hurting you and it's hurting the people that love you. So today, um, today is where I want to end. Would you you stand with me and um, if you'll just give me like two or three minutes. We'll we'll dismiss, okay? But here's the moment, here's the moment that, that matters. There's a story in Scripture about a man who built his house on a rock and a man who built his house on the sand. They both heard the same message. One acted on it and the other one didn't. And the one who acted on it had a whole different life than the one who didn't so today it's important that you act on what you've heard now here's what we're not gonna do we're not gonna have a prayer team I'm not gonna ask you to lift your hand I'm not gonna ask you to respond externally in any way that would let anyone else in the room have any idea what's going on in your heart okay but I'm telling you I've watched enough marriages and I've watched enough families and I've watched enough singles and individuals blow their life up because they didn't know how to deal with the desires that were inside them and they didn't know who they could tell and they lived in secret and private and this thing grew and it took them over and it wrecked their life. And I'm just coming to tell you today in this place there is no shame and there is no condemnation and there is no guilt and there is no fear. But there must be truth. There must be honesty. And honesty, a an honest surrender, opens you up to the grace of God. So I'm gonna ask everybody in the room if you'll close your eyes, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to respond externally in any way. You don't have to do anything. I wanna give you, this is a safe place, and I wanna give you a, a little moment of privacy. But I want to invite you in the sanctity of this moment to turn your heart and life to a God who won't condemn you and won't shame you and is not angry at you, but wants to love you and wants to help you, wants to forgive you and give you grace. Even if you have to say it inside your heart, maybe you can't even whisper it out loud, I want to just begin to pray. And as I do, if you need God's grace today, I just want you in your heart to reach out for it. In your own heart, I just want, maybe you you won't even do it outside, but in your heart, I want you to picture that you're holding your hands upside down in a receiving position and you're just saying, God, I I don't want the life that I've been living. I don't want the secret. I don't want the shame. I don't want to act anymore on this. I don't, maybe you've acted on nothing, but boy, it's growing. And you say, Lord, I don't want this to grow anymore. God, help me today. I want you just to reach out to Jesus and, and receive His grace today. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room that by Your mercy and grace, we would somehow live peaceful, joyous, and holy and healthy life that you came to give us so i ask lord for everyone in the sound of my voice on the podcast right now in the room that lord your mercy and grace would fill our heart and our mind and you would wash us clean of these evil desires you would you would help us to reject you would grow our spirit now that we might overcome and live in victory and even if we lose a battle lord that we won't lose the war God, that you today would lift up and dry, dry, weary eyes, eyes that are flooded with tears. God, that you would let your grace wash, purify. And we, we wash away with the blood of Jesus shame today. And we wash away condemnation. And we wash away fear. And we receive the grace and the favor and the love of God. You've given us a new identity in Jesus Christ, and we receive and walk in that identity today. God, by your power, may we walk from this place, and and tomorrow as we walk, may we take steps of freedom, steps of freedom, steps toward Jesus. Lord, right now we sow to the Spirit that we might from the Spirit reap life. So God... For the lonely and the broken and the hurt and the angry and the weak and the confused cover today underneath the shadow of the Almighty. Allow us to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. God, we hide underneath your wings today. Not from sin. We hide with our sin underneath your wing that you might might deal with it. You might resolve it. Lord, we, we hand it over to you today. Lord, as we leave this place, may Your Spirit and Presence allow the part of this message that we needed to stick with us and to bring us to a better place in You. In Jesus' name, in Jesus. Name. Hey, I, I believe that this is the year that God wants you to live in more freedom than you've ever lived in. And I think today, we took a good step. Today, man, would you just let one one, one moment of applause rise to heaven and thank God that He's a gracious God and He wants to forgive and heal. Lord, we thank You today. God, we we thank You today. We thank You today. We thank You today. We receive Your grace. Hey, I'm so glad you were here today. Join us next week as we continue this series. Tonight, I hope this.